There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The creation and then presentation of a strategically well-constructed self is a detour past the sticky stuff of being who we actually wake up as. An alter ego is a calculated avatar that can rise out and take control of a life. We give it the permission to want what it wants. Utilizing the abilities of the editor, the hypnotist, the double agent, the mannequin, these personas can bypass reality in the service of perhaps a greater one. The work needed to do this is more than simply unbuttoning their shirts and putting on an accent. To live as another is a vehicle to get you where you want to go more quickly and has an alluring freedom. These are often the kinds of fantasies the world is most eager to play along with. I'm Leslie Feist and welcome to Pleasure Studies, a song-by-song -song look at the themes underpinning our lives. Each episode holds up multiple stories to one light to get a glimpse at the common ground that's under our common struggles. If you create a persona for yourself, what you're doing is you're, you're creating a frame. And so you have all the control about what's in that frame. It's like you're the camera and you are literally going to be able to zoom in and leave certain things out or zoom out and leave certain things in. I had the idea to imagine myself as a different writer and write from that point of view. Almost like an actor, you know, putting on a mask, suddenly you're free. My first supervisor in San Juan, he said, Mark, in order to do this job successfully, you're going to have to learn to lie and to lie well. My name is Mark Ruskin. Yeah, I was an FBI agent. I spent approximately 20 years doing covert operations, you know, primarily as an undercover agent. My, my name is Jason Beck, and I am an entertainer and created the name Chili Gonzalez to embody the spirit of that entertainer. My name is Michael Redhill. I am a Toronto-based writer and editor. I had started at a very young age writing poetry and short fiction. I published my first book when I was 19, a collection of poetry. Well, I had an idea, I think, in 2006, which was the year that Consolation was published. It was an idea that was sort of... Uh, it didn't sound, it didn't feel like it was a literary concept. It didn't sound like me. I didn't know what it sounded like, but it didn't sound like the kind of stuff I'd been writing in poetry, theater, or in fiction. So that's when Inger Ash Wolf came to mind. I kind of referred to it as learning to live a lie. I had to figure out how to create an identity. And creating identity is not just a state of mind. You have to create a history, you have to have been born somewhere, you have to have a social security number that's a real one. No, when I first started 
making music under the name Chili Gonzalez, something about that name allowed me to pour all of these sort of fantasy behaviors into it. Like, wow, okay, the stage is an interesting place. And you can sort of be much more brash or aggressive or indulgent or um, vulnerable, I mean, as well. First off, I must have projected a whole bunch of stuff onto this identity that I called Inger. And I can, I can tell you about her because I had to visualize her and she eventually grew just the same as when you write and rewrite a character deepens. The longer I was with her, the more I felt like, oh, I know this person's taste. She's a little, she's different than me. She's also 15 years older than me. Um, she's been through the kids. The kids are out of the house. She now has an ex-husband and she's taking care of an elderly mother. At one point, I was Alejandro Marconi, Sal Morelli, Eduardo Dean, Alejandro Kulikov, Alex Perez, H. Henri Marc Renard. I can't forget after a while how many how many I had. It was about a dozen different people. Yeah. To displace yourself and sort of create a name for some walled-off version of yourself does give you a certain access and a certain freedom to explore things that would seem like they would hurt too much to do it as yourself. I really love the idea of having a second name or a secret identity because uh, I'd had a pretty active imagination for most of my life, fed in part by cartoons and comic books. And the idea that you could go out in the world and do good and nobody would know it was you, that was highly appealing, still appeals to me. When I would drive up to a meet, he would arrive this expensive car, appearing to be from Miami, even though the car had never been south of Brooklyn. Out would step this fellow with the long hair, the gel, two, three gold bracelets, two, three gold necklaces, which I obtained courtesy of the FBI seized property unit, a shirt unbuttoned halfway to my navel. At that point, all I had to do was say the right thing and not uh, step on my uh, tongue, and, and I'd be home free. My intent was never to come out. I was always going to be under the pseudonym, but that, that's not what happened in the end. It wasn't a 100% lie in the sense that I wasn't altering my persona completely. The core mark was always the same. It was more like the outside the, that had to be altered and fine-tuned. The only real characteristics which I would hide would be my true sense of ethical or moral principles. It seemed like the options for how to present yourself as a musician, everyone kind of conformed to saying the same kind of things, to acting the same way on stage. And I remember thinking, I want people to recognize when they see me on stage that I'm not conforming. So I think Chili Gonzalez was not just a persona that contained my fantasies of impunity and being a musical genius, but it was also, I think, a name that was going to imply that I was a kind of cartoon character, and that would give me this sort of feeling of being an exception. When I was on, I was really 100% on. You know, like if I was driving to a meet with the Malaysian Chinese guys, on the way over there, I might be thinking to myself, what am I doing here? You know, do I have rocks in my head? Uh, am I out of my mind? You know, once it was showtime, 
and I would enter that hotel room. From then on, I was 100% Alex or 100% Sal. Every word calculated, you know, every movement. Even the sentences felt different coming out of me writing as anger. Her, her adjectives were different than mine. Her, the tone of her sentences were different. And I can't say that those sentences were female and mine are, are, are masculine, but there was a difference. There was a sense of coming at things from a slightly different angle. And of course, it was all hybridized at, at base because no matter how convincing it was as a writing performance, it was still a performance. The more I would let go on stage, the more I would let out the arrogance or the insecurity or the megalomania or the frustration or the vulnerability. The more extreme I went into whichever of those directions, the more I was rewarded for it. After living with Inger for 10 years and writing in that voice, there's definitely been some cross-pollination and I have found myself maybe putting in some of the humor that Inger used in her books, which is a little, you know, dark and, and sly, but also just the expansion of, uh, of a toolkit of some kind that I maybe would not have allowed myself to take certain points of view or write certain kinds of sentences without having learned it from Inger. I want access to something forbidden, but I just can't stand to look at it head on. And so I need to like look at it through a mirror and then I'll be looking at it indirectly. And that mirror that sort of offers this translation process or this framing process that allows you to sort of put a name on it, feel like it's not really you, and then you have a safe space from which to explore things. A cut diamond doesn't say anything about the person who cut it, but when, you, when we're looking at personal art paintings and novels and songs perhaps even, that we believe that we are getting a window in on the, the spirit of the person who created it. And surely we are, but I'm not so sure how to map that at all. I guess the question of the real self is something that some people never confront because their lives are so various. But in our, when we are in a community and we know people, we're reflecting each other all the time and reinforcing who we are and normalizing who we are. Um, but as soon as you take away that uh, support network, that psychological support network, the question of who you are is often uh, not as clear. Whenever I was adopting a fictitious identity, I was utilizing it in a world which was not Mark's world. I was dealing with different people, a different set of cultural norms. The whole universe was different. Everyone has different facets to their personalities and, and to a certain extent presents different sides of themselves to different audiences. So the notion that uh, Inger is a part of me or I'm a part of Inger, like it doesn't, it, it's fluid in my mind, especially when I was writing the books. In real life, most people are not a fictionalized other and a real person, but they are, you know, mother here, brother there, physician here, you know, person waiting in line over there. And we're different in all of those situations. When the real world starts to play along with your fantasy, my God, it's hard to resist making it your 24 hours a day reality. I don't know anyone who could probably resist it. The question is, how long do you stay in it? Some people maybe get out of it after, you know, three weeks, maybe some people three years, and in my case, something like a decade.
I was overwhelmed by what Inger had become at first because I was expecting, I was hoping for, you know, a couple little publishing contracts. But uh, the first two books were bought up in 17 different languages and like it was sold all over the world. So I, I felt anxious at that point and a little exposed. The, the toll, the emotional toll of, of not living as myself or as my true self. I mean, I, there was one situation where a friend of ours, so to speak, his eight or nine-year-old son, one day he shows me his skateboard where he had carved my fictitious initials, you know, the Alex Perez initials, onto his skateboard. He was very proud. Yeah, so he was looking at me as like Uncle Alex. And, uh, you know, going home that evening, I felt real sense of mixed emotions. I was thinking to myself, here, his uncle Alex, in a couple of years, is going to be responsible for putting his father in prison. I think the downside in not being embodied by your art is that it goes on to live a life that you can't have. Um, oftentimes, when art becomes popular, the public makes it into something that you didn't intend it to be, or they think it is much closer to you than it actually is, and they project stuff on you. I guess it talks a little bit about the expectations of the, the audience towards it, the maker of the, of the art. I think the stage is a beautiful thing because anything you do on a stage carries with it, whether it's true or not, it carries with it the sort of idea that this is make-believe. And yet we go to see someone on stage because we want to connect with truth. And so this is the magic trick of all creative people, and especially of people, I think, who are sort of visible and, and verbal and think of themselves as sort of personas. I think it's a way of getting in touch with the feelings without it hurting. The stress was very, very high. I was working it seven days a week. I was living it. I was living in another apartment. We'd only see family or friends once a month. You know, I started developing insomnia. I was drinking a little too much. And uh, later on, I developed mechanisms which allowed me to maintain a, a more distinct separation of identities. I decided to come out in uh, 2012 with the third book, uh, which was called uh, A Door in the River. Yeah, I, I went to the publisher and said, I think, you know, the book really needs my physical manifestation behind it so I can do readings and, you know, go to festivals and stuff like that. Leaving the FBI was, it was difficult for me. Adapting to just having one persona took some transition. It, was, it didn't come naturally. Now, waking up every day and as, as just, and I put just in quotes, M M Mark Ruskin, is, is refreshing. Yeah, I only really started to let people call me Jason in terms of, you know, when I would meet them and like extend my hand and say, hi, I'm Jason. That really only started again around 2012, 2013, after a solid 15 years of essentially only my closest family members calling me that. And the only thing that, that sort of woke me up and pierced that bubble so that I would sort of realize that I am Jason and that there probably is something 
not right with someone who kind of refuses to hear their real name or that it rankles them to be called by that name uh, is a denial of reality. What's more real than the name that you didn't choose that literally identifies you to people? I think it's probably likely that I won't publish under the name Inger Ashwolf again. And just being myself, uh, definitely it feels like I've pulled things in that drifted too far from me. I feel a little more uh, defined and balanced. But uh, as this next novel comes out, I'm not sure what readers or you know people who ask me to talk about the book, I'm not sure where they'll position it. In some ways, art perfects the artist. You know, you wish you could be that made thing that will only be one thing to the people who consume it down through the future. But the person behind the making is a chaotic, ever-changing, mutable creature, you know. So the fact that we get to leave our song behind when our real selves are so messy is uh, one of the things that is uh, attractive in becoming an artist. You can't hide who you are. The stage is like an x-ray machine, and it can see through a Ziggy Stardust costume, or it can see through Bjork's swan dress, or it can see through the bathrobe and slippers musical genius, because people understand that when you fantasize, you're usually trying to fill a hole. You're usually trying to address something that um, isn't right between you and reality. Otherwise, why would you fantasize about escape? So if an artist is sort of getting on stage to escape, even, even if they think they're being clever, what the audience sees is what they're trying to escape from. A Man Is Not His Song was produced by Rachel Matlow and Robbie Lackritz. Special thanks to Mark Ruskin, Chili Gonzalez, Michael Redhill for telling us their stories. Scored by Todd Dahlhoff and the theme was played by Tony Shear. Pleasure Studies is executive produced by Robbie Lackritz and myself, Leslie Feist. Additional contributions from Andrew Whiteman and Elizabeth Barker and is presented by Erios and Talkhouse. <laughs>